Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Amen. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. We are in a series right now that we're calling Multiply. That's our heart for 2022 is what can we do to multiply all that God has given us as a church, as a people, quite honestly, as followers of Christ, what can we do to multiply our relationship with him, our relationship with one another, our impact in our community, our generosity and giving and serving in all areas of life? What does that look like? And we're discovering that in and through the book of Acts, that's exactly what they were doing. Have you noticed that so far? One uh-huh in the front up here. Let me, let me try that again. Have you noticed that so far? We're seeing that happen with the early church. But there was a reason why they had that excitement. Yes, the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. Yes, they were filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. There, there was something stirring on the inside that made the difference. That's what I want to talk about today. Our text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 15, it says this. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What I want to talk about for the next few moments this morning is what was it in Paul and Silas in this moment that it stirred them, that, that caused them to have this excitement, this drive, this energy that, that wanted to do everything and this willingness to spend and be spent for souls. Now hold on to that. We're going to unwrap what that means in just a few moments because our mindset, we, we struggle. What's it mean to be, to spend and, and be spent? Just pin mark that. We're going to come back to it in just a second. What I want to look at is passion. What is the passion that you have in your life? What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you going for a new day? The word passion by definition is this, a strong liking or desire for or devotion to some activity, object, or concept. You see, as a people, we tend to gravitate toward that which we really love. You go into a room, you're going to find people that are like-minded. You're going to find things that you enjoy, and you're going you're gonna to go to that. My family loves to go to antique stores, but here's my problem right now. I gravitate toward the vinyl albums. Okay, and I can sit down at one of these little booths at an antique store, and I can spend forever going album by album by album by album. In fact, there's an antique store about 45 minutes from here that I've been wanting to go back to. And my wife literally said this to me the other day, you need to take Chandler because I don't enjoy going there with you. Because she knows when we go in there, I'm going to gravitate toward that which I enjoy. I'm going to go to the albums. I'm going to go to the records. I'm going to begin to go through them. And I can spend hours just in that spot. 
Come on, anybody else in the room, you're passionate about something and you can spend hours investing in it? Absolutely, it's what we do. So what is it that you're passionate about? For some of you, it's music. Some of you, it's sports or hunting or fishing, fashion, work, computers. The list goes on and on, but I'm certain that there's something that you are passionate about. In our portion of the book of Acts today, as we move into chapter 16, we come face to face with two guys, Paul and Silas, and these two men were passionate about their relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, let me read one occurrence to you. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, says this. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell us and tell you how to be saved. Now, that by itself is not bad. If I was going to go out into a community and my goal was to tell people how to be saved and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, it wouldn't be a bad thing for have somebody in the, in the community that already people knew to be shouting, hey, you need to listen to these guys because they're telling you the way to Jesus. But here's the problem. It says this went on day after day, after day, after day, after, I may have added a few days in there, but I imagine that that's what it was like. It, it felt like an eternity, one day after another. The guys could not even step one step without this girl standing there going, hey, listen to these guys. Paul was so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And immediately it left her. Her master's hope of wealth was now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. The mob formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That sounds like a good day right there. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. I'm going to pause there just for a moment. What a day. In their minds, they were doing what God had called them to do. They were sharing the good news. They were offering hope to an otherwise hopeless society. Yet in this moment, a, a crowd, a, a mob formed against them. They were stripped and beaten and thrown in jail. Their feet were placed in stocks. 
But here's what I've learned about Paul and Silas. Because of the passion that they had, because of their desire to follow after everything Jesus, they were blessed despite their surroundings. Come on, let me say that again. They were blessed despite their surroundings. They were blessed despite their troubles. They were blessed despite the opposition. Now listen carefully this morning. Your walk with God is not going to be easy. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Boy, pastor, that's encouraging. Thanks for that Memorial Day weekend message. That's, that's good news right there. Now, it's the truth. It's the reality. In this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to face opposition. You're going to come up against people that don't like you. You're going to experience opposition. It's going to be struggles. God never promised us that it would be easy. But here's what I have discovered. If you walk in step with Jesus, you will be blessed. Amen? If you walk in step with Jesus, you will be blessed. If you press forward with the passion that God has placed inside of your life, you will experience more of him than you ever imagined possible. You see, Paul and Silas had to choose to be intentional in their response. What were they going to do? They've been talking about hope. They've been sharing about the good news of Christ. They've been telling people that Jesus is the way. And now that they've been stripped and beaten and thrown in jail and their feet's in stock, how are they going to respond? When they're up to their eyeballs in struggle, what are they going to do? I realized something. They saw a bigger picture. You see, oftentimes we're guilty of just seeing the the moment. We're guilty of just seeing our issue. We're guilty of just seeing our problem. But, But Paul and Silas had to see a bigger picture. Now, I want to go back about 20 years ago or so. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Jobs. Some of you remember who Steve is. He was one of the founders of Apple. Uh, He had an interview, and he talked about this topic just a little bit, this idea of passion. Let's take a look at what he has to say. People say you you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, and it's totally true. And the reason is, uh, is because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. And you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, if you're not having fun doing it, you don't really love it, uh, you're going to give up. And that's what happens to most people, actually. If you really look at, 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 at the ones that uh, ended up you know, being successful, unquote, in the eyes of society and the ones that didn't, oftentimes it, it's the ones that are successful loved what they did so they could persevere when, you know, when it got really tough. And, and the ones that, that didn't love it quit because they're sane. Right? Who would want to put up with this stuff if you don't love it? So it's a lot of hard work, and, and it's a lot of worrying constantly. And uh, um, if you don't love it, you're going to fail. So you've got to love it. You've got to have passion. And I think that's the high-order bit. 
Now, I know that Steve was talking about the business world, but I really believe it's applicable to our situation today in our walk with Christ. If we don't have passion, your fire is going to go out. Let me say that again. If you don't have passion, if you don't kindle that fire within you from time to time, if you don't stoke that fire a little bit, if you don't add to that fire, guess what? Eventually, it's going to go out. Why? Because life's not easy. It's simply not easy. If you don't kindle it, it won't last very long. And the results, you'll simply give up. But... Here's the good news. If you embrace your walk with God with passion and drive, not only will you begin to grow in your relationship, multiply in your relationship, but those around you will be affected as well. We're going to come back to that with Paul and Silas in just a moment because that's what we see happening in our story today. Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail simply for sharing the good news of Christ and ultimately casting a demon out of this girl. They were sharing their passion, and then everything broke apart. They find themselves in the inner dungeon. No doubt it was a a nasty place. It wouldn't be the place that you'd want to hang out. But the Bible goes on in verse 25 and 26 to say this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were what? Listening? So Paul and Silas were singing praise and hymns. They were praying to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open. Look at that. All the doors. Not just Paul and Silas's door. Come on. Not just the one in front of them. But all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Come on, this is important to grab a hold of. You see, when we praise and pray, it doesn't just affect our situation. When we shift our thinking away from the struggle and onto our Savior, when we begin to look toward Him rather than look here, suddenly our perspective changes, our life changes, our heart changes, our passion increases, and those around us are affected. Come on, that would have been a great moment to get excited, but I'll forgive you today. Right? When God steps in, he changes everything. For the next few moments, I want to look at three results of a passionate journey with Jesus. Three results of a passionate journey with Jesus. Number one is this. My circumstances will get a new perspective. When I push forward in this passionate journey with Jesus, when suddenly I am looking toward him, my circumstances get a new perspective. I see things from a new point of view. I think we hear stories like Paul and Silas's and we struggle to connect. I mean, I've had bad days. You've had bad days. 
But we haven't experienced something to the extent of what Paul and Silas experienced. If I were Paul, I'd be emotionally, physically, and spiritually tapped out. Nothing else to get. I'd be drained to the very last drop. Their backs are bleeding from the beating. No doubt they're a bit aggravated. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why this last verse, verse 25, why it's so amazing to me, is that around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstance. Is that what it said? No, that's not what it said. Now, if you and I were in this story, if Acts 16 had our names in it, I'm going to be honest with you, perhaps the story would end a little different. It might have said Larry and Diane were just griping. and No, they wouldn't do that. No, but what, what did Paul and Silas do? It says that around midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Let me share something with you this morning. When I get in a spiritual or emotional slump in life, it's usually because I've zoomed in on my problem. I've been overcome by my situation. I'm, I'm fixating myself on the wrong thing. I'm focusing on that which is not the most important. Nine times out of ten, the solution is zooming out and getting a new perspective. And I think that's where Paul and Silas were. They had been stripped, beaten, thrown in jail, who knows what all had been said about them. They were just spent. But what did they have to do? They had to realize that in that moment, they couldn't fixate upon the problem. They couldn't become overwhelmed by the circumstance of the moments. But they had to zoom out just for a moment and look at the situation. Perhaps they were sitting there in the inner dungeon and they began to look around the room. They began to see the brokenness in the eyes of the other prisoners. Maybe the other prisoners had begun to share their story and they heard the hurts. The pain, the struggle. And in that moment, Paul and Silas had to zoom out and get a new perspective in that moment. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says this, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For what the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So does that mean that, that when I face problems, when I go through difficulties, that I just stick my head in the sand and ignore what's going on around me and just say, well, everything is good, praise God? No. No, it means that I get the right perspective. I don't allow the trouble 
to conquer me. Instead, I, I take hold of the authority that I have in Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas could have zoomed in and complained. They could have said, God, we were casting out demons in your name. We're on a missionary journey. We're doing what you called us to do. We're now we're beaten and we're thrown in jail. God, instead of watching our back, our backs have been beaten and are now bleeding. That's not right. But they chose. They chose to zoom out. They made the choice to worship God despite the external circumstance. Did you catch that? They, they could have just began talking to the other prisoners. They could have said, hey, we're here because we're sharing the good news of Christ and it's worth the cost. But they realized in the moment that worship was the answer. Here's what worship does. It restores your spiritual equilibrium. In other words, it puts your life back in balance. Have you ever had one of those really bad days and perhaps you're even in a bad mood and you turn on some worship music and you sense things beginning to change? Yeah, many of us have been there before. I think that's kind of what was happening with Paul and Silas because worship enables you to find something right to praise God about even when everything seems to be going wrong. It's focusing on the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ paid the price for you and for me, the ultimate price, giving everything so that you could have life. It's refocusing on the reality that God loves you when you least expect it. That God loves you when you least deserve it. You see, worship is refocusing on the fundamentals of your faith. It's in that moment that he begins to renew a joy and a hope inside of you. But let me be completely honest. Is that always easy? No. Nothing is more difficult than trying to praise God when everything seems to be going wrong. But I've discovered that it's the purest form of worship. When I just don't want to, when I just don't feel like it, when, when nothing else in my life is going right, the purest form of worship is saying, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, none of this makes sense. But I'm going to praise you, not because of my circumstance. Lord, not because things are going right or going wrong. But God, I'm going to praise you because of who you are. I'm going to praise you because you first loved me. That while I was still a sinner, you willfully gave it all for me. You see, our first result is my circumstances will get a new perspective. Our second is this. My situation will take a new turn. My situation will take a new turn. I'm absolutely convinced that one of the most important choices you can make in life every day is your attitude. Come on, look at your neighbor this morning. Say, check your attitude. It's one of the most important choices you can make in your day. John Maxwell once said this, life is 10% of what you do and 90% of how you react to it. 
The truth is, your internal attitude is more important than your external circumstances. Come on, this is important to wrap yourself around. Because how often do we find ourselves consumed by the external circumstances? Yes? And it affects every area of our life. It affects your relationship with your family. It affects your relationships on the job. It affects your relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because you've been focused in. You've zoomed in to the problem. But you have a choice to make. No one can make you do anything. And I've heard people say it all the time. You've made me so angry. No. You chose to get angry. No one can make you get angry. It's a willful choice on your behalf of how you will respond to a situation or to a circumstance. Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react and respond to it. So at the end of the day, Paul and Silas had a choice to make. They could hang out in this area of self-pity or they could choose to see their situation and their circumstance in a new light. Now, to remind you, they'd been arrested for casting out of a, de- a demon out of a young lady. They were taken in by the authorities. A mob rose against them. They were stripped of their clothes, beaten with rods, placed in prison. Their feet in stocks seems like a perfect place to give God praise said no one ever. Many of us would find ourselves in a pity party saying, God, why me? God, why do I have to go through this? Life's not fair. But Paul and Silas set the example for us because it says around midnight they begin to pray and give God praise. The message paraphrase said they sang a robust hymn. In other words, they sang with all that was in them and all of the listeners around them, the prisoners around them, were listening. They go back to our text in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I told you we'd come back to this. I'll unwrap it just a little bit. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth at this point. It's 57 A.D., about eight years or so after this imprisonment, okay? So he's already been imprisoned. He'd already been beaten. A lot of things had already happened in Paul's life. And now he says to the church in Corinth, I most gladly, I willfully spend and be spent for your souls. But what is that really Mean Well, the Greek word for spend is, is dopineo. The word dopineo simply means this, to use the resources in your possession. Now, Paul and Silas, in this moment, I venture to say there weren't a lot of resources left. They were naked. They were beaten. They were bleeding They were exhausted. They were thrown into prison. Their feet in clamps and stocks. What do they have left? They have their voice. The Bible says they began to sing a song of praise. 
But you see, Paul doesn't stop by saying, I'm willing to use the resources I have because many of us in the room, we are willing to use the resources we have. If I've got something you need, give me a call. I'll do my best to help you out. But Paul takes this one step further. He says, I'm willing to spend or use the resources, but I'm also willing to be spent. The word here is ek dapaneo. It means to fully be fully expended, to become the currency. Paul and Silas were willing to not only utilize that which was in their possession, but they were willing to become the currency that is being spent. They were willing to spend completely because of the passion that was stirring within them. Our district superintendent once said this, we are not called to just spend our lives but to be spent. Church, you and I aren't called just to spend our lives. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we're not called just to use the resources that we have available to us, but we've got to be willing to say, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, God, wherever you want me to go, God, whatever it requires, I'm willing to spend and be spent for souls to multiply the kingdom of God. And now there's a third result. As we follow Jesus in this passionate journey, my influence will reach a new level. My influence will reach a new level. While they were praying and praising, suddenly everyone's chain was loosed. Every prisoner was set free. See, your influence as you pursue the things of God, as you passionately are drawn to be spent for him, to utilize what he's placed before you, your influence will be multiplied for his kingdom. Did you know that perhaps you have been called to be the one to reach your circle of influence? You may be the only one in your circle that can ever make an impact for the kingdom of God. God's counting on you. Man, that's a heavy weight, isn't it? But here's the great thing. God doesn't place this weight upon us for us to figure out on on our own. When he told the early church that he's leaving and ascending to heaven, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, he reminded them, he says, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, this is the case that Paul and Silas found themselves in. They were the ones called to reach the prisoners in the jail that day. 
When you praise, when you pray with purpose, those in your circle, those in your surrounding area are affected for the kingdom of God. We see that transpiring with Paul and Silas. Every prisoner's chains fell off. For many of them, it wasn't their praise. I'd venture to say that most of the prisoners in that jail cell that day did not know the song that Paul and Silas were singing. They probably sat, in fact, there were probably some of them back in the back going, would you just stop? I remember several years ago, I had just been here a year or two, and we decided at Christmas time to travel around to some of the nursing homes and, and sing Christmas songs. Just kind of spread a little Christmas cheer and, you know, sing songs about Jesus coming and all these things. And we're at this one particular uh, nursing home and we're at the end of the hallway, the long hall going all the way down. And we're singing Joy to the World or one of the Christmas songs. And come bellowing from the other end of the hall, we hear this. Ah, shut up! <laughs> I imagine that's probably what was happening with Paul and Silas. No doubt there was that individual on the other side of the jail cell. No doubt there was that person down the hallway just a little bit that didn't want to hear what they had to sing. But Paul and Silas had a choice to make. Were they willing to be spent? Were they willing to be used by the, for the kingdom of God? You see, it wasn't the praise. It wasn't the prayer of those in that jail cell that day. It was the praise and the prayer of two men who were not afraid to sing and give God praise in the midst of their trouble. They had passion to multiply for the glory of God. And I love how the story goes on. Oftentimes when we hear this story preached, that's kind of where it wraps up. But I think the next few verses kind of bring everything around. Verse 29 tells us that the jailer called for the lights. I'd read that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, but a couple years ago I came across this story again and I read that and I realized something when the jailer called for the lights, that changed everything. What does light do? It illuminates the darkness. It helps you to see that which is around you. It conquers the darkness. What I see happening is when the jailer called for the light, he had been in the midst of darkness. He couldn't really see what was going on, so he needed some hope. He needed something to illuminate the darkness which he walked in. I don't know about you. I, I guess you didn't get excited. I got excited. I sit into my office when I read that, and I probably had a little shouting moments. Because if you look at Matthew chapter 6, it says your eye is like the lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, the whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I'd venture to say that, that our jailer that day was in the midst of darkness. And I don't think he really knew what he was calling for when he said, somebody turn on the lights. See, many times we are in the midst of trouble and we can't really see clearly what's going on around us. 
I can't help but think that when the jailer called for the lights, that God in all of his greatness saw an opportunity to shine his glory for just a moment in that jail cell, in that prison that day. Suddenly the jailer was able to see clearly what was missing in his life. The Bible says he looked to Paul and Silas and he said this, What must I do to be saved? You see, when the lights came on, this man that once traveled in spiritual darkness understood that something was missing in his life. And if it had not been for the passion and the drive of two men that had a desire to share the hope of Jesus. See, the scriptures go on to say that this jailer And his entire household came to know the Lord that day. As we pursue our journey with Jesus with passion, just like Paul and Silas, we are going to see our entire situations change. Suddenly your circumstances will get a new perspective. Your situations will take a new turn. Your influence will reach a a brand new level. I believe it's time for us, the church, to begin to stir that fire. It's time for us to, to rekindle that passion. It's not enough. I've said this a lot recently. It's not enough just to come in and do church. We've got to be willing to spend and be spent for souls. Would you bow your heads with me today, God? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.